Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I once heard a quote that said this. If the gospel message you are hearing is no longer good news to the poor, the hungry, the burdened, the sick, or the dying, it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. This quote came to mind as I thought through our text for this week because I don't know about you, but in hearing this text today, I don't exactly get warm, fuzzy feelings from what Jesus is teaching. Now, as we progress through the church season of Epiphany, we've encountered some amazing ways that God has revealed his son to us. And the emphasis of Epiphany has certainly revealed Jesus' power to perform miracles, to satisfy needs, to heal, to provide, and like the crowds, begin to follow Jesus. Now, in that, we might get the wrong impression. And that is, we seem to think sometimes that if following Jesus, it will mean that all of our problems in life will suddenly disappear. That every problem will be solved and every need satisfied. That your life as a disciple will be one of unbroken happiness and joy. Now, some modern church leaders actually teach and speak of it this way. Or maybe even worse, you might conclude that if these things aren't happening for you, that you aren't good enough, or that God doesn't love you. That is what the devil wants you to think. And so today, in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, Jesus reveals the stark truth of true life. And we hear a great reversal of sorts. What Jesus seems to be saying is that in this life, it's better for you to live in poverty than in wealth, to live in hunger rather than satisfied, to be sad and weep rather than have joy and laughter, and for you to suffer persecution than to be popular. Now let's be honest. All of what Jesus is saying sounds like nonsense. Then again, as the church, you may have noticed that most of what we do, the world looks at as nonsense. Think about this. We stand at the baptismal font holding a beautiful living baby and declare that it is dead in sin. We stand before the congregation at a casket or an urn of those who have died and speak of death as but a slumber. We stand at the graveside and proclaim that the dead are alive in Christ. We take regular old tap water, as I talk about in confirmation, we can lap it even out of the toilet and splash it on the head and say a few important words and we call it new life. We eat and drink tasteless wafers and cheap sweet wine, but confess it to be the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that through it we believe our sins are forgiven when we confess being a sinner. And then forgiveness is declared to you by the, by the authority of Christ from the mouth of a sinner. Do you see why the world looks on the church as nonsense? Because by the measure of the world and what humankind has defined as important, well, it does look foolish. But the point is, it's not really about what you or I or the world thinks. It's about what God says. God says that newborn babies are dead, but alive in Christ. And the dead believers are alive as well. God says that water in his word grants new life. 
And eating bread and wine forgives sin. God says that confessed sinners are justified and self-righteous hypocrites are damned. What God says, that's the reality. Not what you and I think or reason or feel or what we even see. But how are we to argue? When God said, let there be, everything in all of creation came into existence, including the creatures of creation, which you and I are, creatures of creation. When God sent his son to earth to make the lame walk, the dead come alive, free those possessed by demons, that's what happens. When God speaks through a preacher that you're forgiven, justified, and saved, right here, right now, you are. So you might find yourself saying, well, but that's not really Jesus is talking about in this Sermon on the Plain. He's talking about things that seem to hit really close to home. Our wealth, our happiness, our health, our social status. Well, these things are important to us. Not for just an hour here on Sunday morning, but in every minute of every day. So what is Jesus driving at? Well, I think we need to consider a context. The crowds that had assembled that day were from all over Israel. This is what our gospel writer tells us. Why? Well, we're told that it was to hear and to be healed and fed and exercised. But Luke makes it clear that not all of these people were disciples. Let me rephrase that. Believers. Not all of these people were Jews. At least some of them were coming simply to benefit from Jesus' divine power, to have their bodily needs satisfied, and then to be sent on their merry way. And so Jesus takes the opportunity to speak into that and to explain God's blessings and how they relate to true life. And it's painfully clear that God did not send his son only into the world to make you or I or anyone else rich, well-fed, happy, or popular. He didn't come to establish a utopia here on this side of God's kingdom. Make no mistake about it, it's not that he couldn't have or that he tried and he failed. The one who created everything with just his word certainly could have spoken a word and a whole new paradise would have existed once again. So why doesn't Jesus just give us that? Why doesn't he give us all that we desire? Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and turn the world into paradise again? Because the reality is, even if Jesus recreated paradise for us, giving us all that we want, we're still sinners. We would still rebel against God. We would still be under the curse of sin. Sure, he could have allowed us to live forever, but worse than living dead in sin is living damned for an eternity. And that is why Jesus says that in this life, poverty is better than wealth, hunger than satisfaction, weeping than laughter, persecution than popularity, because what he's talking about are not your bodily needs, but your spiritual needs. He's speaking about the reality of our relationship with God. 
The broken world around us and the consequences of sin that touch our lives are a vivid reminder that the world is actually not the problem. We are. Weeping and begging and hunger for God's grace and mercy are the only proper response because only then will we appreciate the real reason that Jesus came. Simply what Jesus is speaking is in matters of the heart. He's revealing the very things that separate you from God, the things you want to put your trust in instead of God. The devil wants you to be filled with so much wealth and food and happiness and popularity here and now so that you don't see or feel the real misery of sin. The devil wants you to believe that you are rich because of your own good works, for you not to see your brokenness, for you not to confess your spiritual poverty, to be completely satisfied in yourself that you do not hunger for God's righteousness. You laugh at your sin. You will not weep over it. To value what other people say is more important than what God says about you. But the awful reality is that if we believe that because we are rich, well-fed, happy, and popular, that everything is right between us and God. Well, the reality of that is, if you believe that, the devil has already won. Because Jesus didn't come to get rid of poverty and hunger and sadness. In fact, he tells us we will have those things forever on this side of God's kingdom. Jesus came to defeat sin, death, and the works of the devil. He came to take your sin, your rebellion against God upon himself and die for it. So much so that when God looks on you that are baptized into Christ Jesus, the only sinner he sees is his son. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, God unleashed all of his wrath for sin on the greatest of all sinners, and that was his son. His son who took away your sin, and then and only then was God's justice satisfied. By Jesus' life and death, Jesus obtained true life for you, a life no longer under the curse of sin, a life that actually will see eternal paradise, filled with riches beyond your imagination, a life of unbroken joy where God himself calls you his beloved. Now in Luther's day, when plagues and pandemics and famines and death were the realities of everyday life, people would say, in the midst of life, we are surrounded by death. Well, that's what the devil would still like you to think. He wants you to think that this is life. This is as good as it gets. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die, and life will be over. But Luther turned that saying around and said, in the midst of death, we are surrounded by life. This place where sin, death, and the devil stalk us, hurt us, kill us and our loved ones, this is not true life. True life is with God and he gives you his promise and his blessings of true life, even in a broken world of death. He told you you had new life in your baptism. And he restores your life day after day with his forgiveness. He gives you his own body and blood which preserves you to life everlasting 
It gives you something to cling to in those moments when the devil is whispering lies again. Now that is good news for you, the poor, the hungry, the sad, and the unpopular. Thanks be to God. Amen.